1: Despite our best efforts to manage our time efficiently, and despite the many time-saving devices designed to make life easier, our lives often seem filled to the brim. We cram our days with activities, thinking that each one of them is important and absolutely necessary. We schedule virtually every minute of every day. We say we want free time, but few of us can sit still even for a moment. For most people, our smartphones, wireless computing, the availability of auto ships so you don't have to constantly shop for the same products, same day or overnight delivery, and the endless streaming of information actually create more stress than they eliminate. We may save time by making a 10-minute call while driving in our car instead of waiting until we get home. But then, after dinner, you make another call. Losing the time we work so hard to save. Instead of accomplishing the same goals more quickly, we set higher goals, constantly pushing ourselves to do more and do it faster, thus getting further and further behind. Where is all the time that we saved? When do we get it back? When do we get to enjoy life? Isn't that allegedly why we are doing all these things? Unfortunately, the problem reaches far deeper than the misuse of time-saving gadgets. The feeling of being rushed saturates our entire way of life. We measure our success in life by our level of efficiency and our ability to stay on top of it all. We measure the health of the economy in terms of increasing productivity. Parents seem to indoctrinate their children into this squeeze-it-all-in mentality. Besides school, they're involved in soccer, swimming, music lessons, gymnastics, often all at the same time, back-to-back, hour-to-hour. This show is about helping you slow down to the speed of life so that perhaps your perception of the world will change. It will become healthier and easier. You will work more intelligently and wisely than before you will realize that much of what you previously thought was essential is actually unnecessary and can be postponed, delegated, or even disregarded. Living at the speed of life helps us set priorities in our lives in a more effective and joyful way. Instead of waiting to enjoy our lives when everything is finally done, which it never is, we can learn to enjoy the journey rather than looking forward to the final destination to share what I've learned over the years that helped me get free of the pace of our harried world. Before I embraced these principles, I was no different from anyone else. My inner world, thoughts and feelings were full of anxiety, worry, pressures, and a feeling of being overwhelmed by life's day-to-day issues. I had headaches, neck and shoulder pain, acid reflux, and other symptoms typical of our stress-filled world. I was convinced that if I worked just a little harder, faster, or more efficiently, I would somehow get ahead of the game and have time to relax. Like many, I lived in constant anticipation of the end of the day, the upcoming weekend, the next vacation. Sometimes I would dream about quitting it all, buying a motorhome, and driving off into the sunset without a map. I fantasized about an illusory time of peace in the future that somehow never arrived. At some point, I realized that the world was not going to accommodate me by making fewer demands. So I learned that I could change my inner world, my feelings, stress level, and even the speed of my life by tapping into a way of thinking that makes life easier, simpler, and much more enjoyable. Today, I'm going to share several ideas, so perhaps you will begin to see the compelling logic of this message and the obvious truth of its principles for your life. Take your time to digest what I'm saying so you discover that never again does life have to become one big emergency. Slow down and enjoy. I'll be right back. This is Diana Hoffman, entrepreneur, attorney, educator, and professional
2: vocalist. You are listening to The Sherry Hill Radio Show. When you're empowered, you are at your best. Empowered people listen to The Sherry Hill Radio Show. Thank you, Sherry.
3: like protect your assets and significantly reduce your taxes. For over 20 years, Sage International Incorporated has helped thousands of business owners put the proper foundation under their dream. If you want to get started on the right business track, schedule your free 30-minute consultation today. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com.
4: Suntech Solar Screening adds elegance, comfort, and privacy to your home. 352-9396. Suntec Solar Screens block up to 90% of the sun's heat and glare. Suntech Solar Screening proudly features Pfeiffer Screening products. 352-9396. Suntec Solar Screening combined... Attention all residents of Northern Nevada. This is a high heat alert. Temperatures will be in the high 90s and 100s for an extended period of time. Call Suntech Solar Screening to block the sun and heat from your windows. Now back to our commercial. Don't suffer any longer as temperatures soar into the 90s and 100s. 352 9396. Senior citizen and military discounts. Suntech Solar Screens pay for themselves with lower cooling costs all summer long. Make shade while the sun shines. Call Suntech Solar Screening for a free estimate. 352 9396. Suntech Solar Screening.
1: Productivity is the use of your time, talent, energy, and resources in a manner calculated to move you progressively closer to worthwhile goals. The clock never stops moving. Remind yourself every day when you start your work that in your hourglass of today, there are only 1,440 minutes. 168 hours per week is your allotment to use your creative mind, talents, and physical hard work to manifest the business that supports the lifestyle you want. As an entrepreneur, you can replace everything except your time. You can make more money and get new customers, but you can't replace or replenish the time you waste. Millionaire maker Dan Kennedy says, Most people give more thought to protecting the crap stored in the garage than to protecting their time. This is sad, but true. Where is your integrity with yourself about what is important in your life? I believe one of the best things you can spend on your family is time. Lost time is never found again. Think about it. Time is your only true currency. You have to get real about who and what gets your time, talent, skills, resources, and life energy. But first, you have to think about how you're currently using your time currency for the five types of energy. The first is mental energy. It would be pretty awesome if we all had plenty of mental energy to stay motivated and disciplined all day long, to be highly productive and highly creative whenever we need it, and to always feel vibrant and optimistic about the future. Yet everyone experiences moments when we feel sluggish or perhaps hyperactive. Sometimes our brains feel like they're stuck in mud, while other times we can solve almost any problem we confront. Interestingly, these cycles of mental energy may occur within a 24-hour time period, our circadian rhythm. Some of us have our creative time or the time we perform best mentally in the morning, others in the evening. There is no right or wrong, simply different. Some people who work after midnight or in a mine shaft that has no natural light can experience a different circadian rhythm than those who work during the day and have exposure to natural sunlight. Sleep disorders, depression, and cognitive problems can result from altered sleep-wake cycles. One of the best methods to increase mental energy is to increase blood flow to the brain through movement. This could include a brisk walk, aerobics, brain games, swimming, and, of course, dancing. Getting some fresh air and drinking more water to remain hydrated can also rejuvenate a sluggish brain. It's a good idea to first identify what periods of the day your brain is alert and productive and when it's sluggish so you can avoid making major decisions or scheduling that particular time of day to get started on that new special project. Perhaps this is when you should build time in your life to take a break so you can recharge your batteries. And I don't mean a beachside holiday or an extended vacation. I'm talking about the simple stuff you love to do that nurtures your soul. Gardening, golfing, meditating, walking in nature, listening to music, that one activity, place, or treatment that helps you to relax, smile, and pirouette back into the routine of your life, sufficiently recharged and raring to go. The second type of energy is physical energy. Exercise is a great way to increase your energy level and fight off feelings of fatigue. Just a few minutes a day of exercise can really transform how you feel and how much energy you have to put toward getting through your day. This seems to be counterintuitive. Doesn't exercise wear you out and make you feel fatigued? Isn't the whole point of exercise to burn calories and burn off energy? How is it possible that something that wears you out physically leaves you feeling more energetic and less fatigued? In study after study, it has been confirmed that there is a direct link between a reduced risk of fatigue for people who were physically active compared to those who were inactive. Personally, I just started playing indoor soccer again after 11 years of not playing. Besides being fun and requiring lots of physical energy, I feel so much better after a game, even when we lose. Just running around again makes me feel young. And since the average age of the other team is in their 20s, I dare anyone to still be playing when they're my age, 56. The third type of energy we have to use in our time currency of today is emotional. Emotional energy has a specific feel. It's a sense of being up, happy, forward-looking, resilient, feeling young, feeling open, feeling your juices flow. Being in touch with the loving, creative, generous, hopeful parts of yourself. People who have emotional energy give to the people they love, rise to difficult occasions, and are able to make decisions to change the parts of their life that aren't working for them. Emotional energy means you can ride out any storm and your core of grace, happiness, and strength won't be touched. Our emotional energy is potentially unlimited and can actually increase the more you learn what works best for you, unlike physical energy, which runs down as we get older. When you increase your emotional energy, it's amazing how your dreams become realities, and that's because obstacles lose the power to stop you. It's one thing to be able to get through the day. It's another thing to feel eager to go through your day and feel fulfilled at the end of the day. That difference is emotional energy. It's part of our nature to be full of emotional energy. But think of what happens to us as we live our lives. Life is full of times when you can feel as though you are overwhelmed with negative feelings. Life events, people, relationships, disappointments, frustrations, and anxieties can all build up and lead to feeling dragged down by negativity. However, there are ways to shake off negative energy that you can use in the moment, activities that can help lift your spirits, and long-term changes that can lead to less negativity in your life. In your hourglass of today, think about all the ways you're wasting your emotional energy and replace it with love and acceptance of yourself, no matter what. You can't contract your energy or dim your light for others or out of fear or for any other reason. And please don't beat yourself up for not being perfect. Just be who you really are. The fourth type is spiritual energy, which is invoked by any true spiritual or humanitarian motive. Anyone who is following their higher aspirations, who is being of genuine service to others, who is connecting with their highest self and unraveling the mystery of their life's purpose, is invoking this energy to some extent. One of the best ways I know to lift our spiritual energy is to laugh, which is one of the greatest of gifts given to us. When you laugh, I mean really laugh, you heal, purify, and release blocks that enable you to tap into your powerful higher self's energy. The last type of energy is financial Today, in the wealthiest country in the world, our society is permeated with symptoms of fear and anxiety about money. These feelings affect both the rich and poor and bind us together more than we realize. Although the symptoms are different for each person, almost everyone suffers from some form of money-related stress. Money is a tool meant to transform your life in more meaningful ways. Yet money seems to possess an energy and life of its own. It contains a duality similar to that present in our own nature. It is both spiritual and material, creative and destructive, loving and cruel. It can help us fulfill our greatest dreams or cause us to be defeated by our worst nightmares. We have given money such power that it permeates every part of our existence It is more than a means of exchange. It has become our other life. And all too often, it is the life we pay the greatest attention and tribute to at the expense of experiencing the richness that lies within our unexplored potential. How did money become so powerful when in fact, it consists of pieces of paper that only have value to the extent that we believe they do? We have not understood that money quite literally is worth nothing without our belief in it. We created it. We gave it value. We made it powerful. And then, as the money game grew, these pieces of paper became our greatest resource. A resource so valuable that many people unconsciously worship money above all else. Now, our greatest misfortune is that without money, we feel that we are nothing. Money is both mysterious and elusive. The more we are defined by it, struggle to get it, and greatly need it, the harder it is to obtain. We cannot control money, but by understanding it, we can obtain what we need. Money is not a part of us. We can never truly own it because it isn't really ours. And to the extent that we maintain the illusion of money as our safety net, we will be prisoners of our own making. Money will own us if we let it. Of this I am certain. Money plays far too great a role in our lives for us to remain unconscious of what it means to us as individuals. And for that reason, you must become aware of its impact on your life and your choices. Do not misunderstand me. I'm not saying that money is bad because it isn't. I happen to like money. I'm just not attached to it. I have spent a great deal of my life learning about money. I have chased money, made money, married money, loved money, and hated money. I have experienced the thrill of having it all and the agony of losing it. Put simply, playing the money game can be quite costly. It is the ultimate game of truth or consequences in which we learn that without the truth, we are left to live in the shadow of self-deception latent with unknown consequences. We all have a story. Whatever your personal history with money is, your story must be told so that you can witness it objectively, consciously, and discover your relationship, which has manifested certain beliefs and behaviors, in your relationship with money. T. Harv Eker in his book, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, wants you to answer the million-dollar question, what is your current money and success blueprint and what results is it subconsciously moving you toward? Are you set for success, mediocrity, or financial failure? Are you programmed for struggle or for ease around money? Are you set for working hard for your money or working in balance? Are you conditioned for having a consistent income or an inconsistent income? You know the scoop. First you have it, then you don't. Then you have it, then you don't. Are you set for having a high income, a moderate income, or a low income? Are you programmed for saving money or for spending money? Are you programmed for managing your money well or mismanaging it? The best way to tell what your money blueprint is set for is to look at your results. Look at your bank account. Look at your income. Look at your net worth. Look at your success with investments. Look at your business success. Look at whether you're a spender or a saver. Look at whether you manage money well. Look at how consistent or inconsistent you are. Look at how hard you work for your money. Look at your relationships that involve money. Is money a struggle or does it come easily to you? Do you own a business or do you have a job? Do you stick with one business or job for a long time or do you jump around a lot? The only way to change your level of financial success permanently is to reset your money blueprint. Sure, you can try anything and everything else you want. You can develop your knowledge in business and marketing and sales and negotiations and in management. You can become an expert in real estate or the stock market. All of these are tremendous tools. But in the end, without an inner toolbox that is big enough and strong enough for you to create and hold onto large amounts of money, all the tools in the world will be useless to you. Your income can grow only to the extent that you do. Fortunately or unfortunately, your personal money and success blueprint will tend to stay with you for the rest of your life unless you identify and change it. In the next segment, related to productivity, I'm going to talk about the myth of multitasking, which is not a reality. In fact, this myth has everything to do with why we're actually less productive.
3: This is Tim Nelson, Certified Public Accountant at Evans Nelson & Company CPAs. Tune in to The Sherry Hill Show right here on 99.1 FM Talk Radio. Sherry Hill is the wealth protection diva. Sage advice is the best advice. And that's what you get when you listen to the Sherry Hill radio show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she's an out-of-the-box thinker. Thank you, Sherry.
2: So, you're thinking about buying investment real estate. Getting the right mortgage is a critical part of your decision. This is Lou Carr, Branch Manager of Summit Funding in Sparks, Nevada. With today's extremely affordable mortgage interest rates, you have the opportunity to step into what could be the best investment purchase you'll ever make. How do you go about it? First, get pre-approved with a mortgage lender like Summit Funding. Then, find the right property at the right price. Summit Funding is ready to talk with you about getting a mortgage to purchase real estate. Visit SummitFunding.net slash L-C-A-R-R or call 775-626-0775 for personal service. This is Lou Carr from Summit Funding, NMLS number 258-750. Thank you. Summit Funding is an equal housing
4: lender.
3: Sage International Incorporated sparks and fuels the entrepreneurial spirit by providing the strategies, information, education, tools, resources, and ongoing support services that will lay a solid foundation under a business owner's dream. If you're thinking of starting a business and you're not sure where to begin, Sage International Incorporated offers a free 30-minute consultation. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com.
1: If you have comments about today's show or any questions, please email sherry at sherryhillshow.com. Like many wired people, you probably take great pride in being a multitasker. You talk on your mobile phone, send email, check the stock market online, and perhaps even read a letter and jot down notes for an upcoming meeting all at the same time, or so you think. Why do you multitask? Well, how else can you accomplish everything you need to get done and still have time for a life? You believe you are the epitome of productivity and efficiency, getting so much done all at once. There's one problem with this scenario. There is no such thing as multitasking, at least not the way you may think of it. The fact is that multitasking, as most people understand it is a myth that has been promulgated by the technological-industrial complex to make overly scheduled and stressed-out people feel productive and efficient. Multitasking involves engaging in two tasks simultaneously, but here's the catch. It's only possible if two conditions are met. One, at least one of the tasks is so well learned as to be automatic, meaning no focus or thought is necessary to engage in the task, for example, walking or eating. And two, they involve different types of brain processing. For example, you can read effectively while listening to classical music because reading comprehension and processing instrumental music engage different parts of the brain. However, your ability to retain information while reading and listening to music with lyrics declines significantly because both tasks activate the language center of the brain. What does this mean for all of you self-proclaimed multitaskers out there? Well, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but it means that what you do isn't really multitasking. Despite appearances, you simply can't talk on the phone, read email, send an instant message, and watch YouTube videos all at the same time. In fact, when you think you're cruising along the information highway, you're actually stepping on the gas, then hitting the brakes over and over. You and every other so-called multitasker are actually serial tasking, or another term I've heard is switch tasking. Rather than engaging in simultaneous tasks, you are in fact shifting from one task to another to another in rapid succession. For example, you switch from your phone conversation to a document on your computer screen to an email and back again in the belief that you're doing them simultaneously. But you're not. A summary of research examining multitasking on the American Psychological Association's website describes how so-called multitasking is neither effective nor efficient. These findings have demonstrated that when you shift focus from one task to another, that transition is neither fast nor smooth. Instead, there is a lag time during which your brain must yank itself from the initial task and then glom on to the new task. This shift, though it feels instantaneous, takes time. In fact, up to 40% more time than single-tasking, especially for complex tasks. A recent article published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences by three Stanford University researchers offers perhaps the most surprising result. Those who consider themselves to be great multitaskers are in fact the worst— those who rated themselves as chronic multitaskers made more mistakes, could remember fewer items, and took longer to complete a variety of focusing tasks. So, the answer is to shift into single tasking, which means focusing only on those tasks that are absolutely essential to maximize performance, an effective tool for making small yet profound gains in productivity. The most important word in personal effectiveness is the word clarity. The starting point is for you to develop absolute clarity about your goals and objectives so that you plan and organize your time in such a way that you accomplish your most important goals as quickly as possible. Organizing your goals and objectives clearly and by priority and then working with single-minded focus on the most important things you can possibly do to achieve them is the key to using your time effectively and well. Here's another thought. I figured out that every endeavor that you do has a few vital functions that once you figure out what they are, your next step is to become excellent at them. Think about a surgeon ready to perform open heart surgery. He isn't involved with all the functions of a successful procedure, just the few vital ones. He isn't the one to clean the instruments or make up the operating table or get the supplies or even the patient ready. He doesn't even do the several dozen procedures happening inside the patient that lead up to his vital few. When it comes time for those vital few, he walks in and performs them with excellence and well-developed expertise, removes his mask, washes his hands and exits, leaving the rest of the procedure to his capable team. The same is true whether you're writing books, running a charity, or leading a business. The big secret of how to get it all done? Don't! Just do your vital functions amazingly well and build a great team of capable players who are excellent at the rest, whether those folks are employees, independent contractors, virtual assistants, or specialized service providers. In any business, you quickly discover that there are thousands of things you can get caught up doing, things that feel productive but are really just a convenient distraction from doing real work, what I call your high payoff activities, those activities that put you on the fastest path to cash. Instead, we set up files, order office supplies, meet with folks who will never actually do or refer business to us, go to luncheons that feature some speaker that has the next magic fix related to their definition of success, hang pictures, post stuff on social media, drive to the bank, process orders, attend endless unproductive and unstructured meetings, and open the mail. They all seem like legitimate tasks that should be done, and in fact, yes, they should be done. Just not by the rainmaker. The rainmaker has one job. Make it rain. I learned a long time ago there were only a few things that I did that mattered. As the leader, when I do them, we get paid. I can't delegate them because they're my vital functions in the business, such as... Prepare and host the weekly Sherry Hill Radio Show. Two is to educate and strategize with prospects and existing clients about starting or growing their business, which converts into sales. And three, write and deliver creative content that gets leveraged throughout all of my teaching, public speaking, newsletters, videos, and blogs. That's it. Those three things. Those are my vital few functions. They are critical to business growth, and I'm great at them. They are what I spend my time on, and yes, I built a fabulous team that does the rest. How many years do you think it took me to figure this out? Too many, and I'd be lying if I said it didn't take some practice. Success has less to do with what we can get ourselves to do, and more with keeping ourselves from doing what we shouldn't. Make sense? Sure. But how? If the greatest threat to your productivity is keeping yourself from getting a wash and low-value activities, how do you make sure you don't mistake a low-value activity for a high one? First, you need to know what your time is worth. That worth that translates directly into cold, hard cash. What does your time need to be worth in order to accomplish the goals you've set for yourself? What's your income goal for the year? 100,000? 500,000? A million? Divide that number by 2,000. The number you get is the hourly rate you have to generate over a 40-hour week in the next year. Every hour that goes by that you don't produce that amount, you're falling behind. Got it? No? Then try this instead. For a goal of $250,000 a year, your hourly rate must be $125. So when you think about your hourglass of time, anything you did that is less than $125 per hour caliber work, you lose money. If you're falling short on your income goals, it's because you waste time doing low-value work. That's it. That's the only reason. Few people seem willing to set a price on the worth of their time, yet everyone in business must do this, and soon. The decision as to what your time is worth is quite personal and influenced by many factors, such as your education or degree of skill, age, professional reputation, amount of past experience, level of confidence, and degree of boldness or nerve. Next, I want to share the nine different categories that you must manage in order to be effective and super productive. I'll be right back. But first, we're going to hear from my friend Rocket Tom, someone who helps me think outside the globe.
0: Although the common meaning of words evolved with time, they tended to define the values of society at any given moment. In the 1920s, gay meant happy and upbeat person. Today, gay defines sexual identity. In the 1930s, a twist was a woman of questionable morals. Today, it's a piece of fruit in your cocktail. Traditionally, dead meant the absence of life. Now I understand it's taking on the meaning of a very successful concert performer. The current term that I believe is among the most insincere, disrespectful, and arrogant is whatever. It appears to be a contraction of whatever you say or whatever you want to do, but it's used in a tone and often conveys the message that I don't want to hear your opinion. I disagree with you, but I don't have a logical response, and I simply do not care what you do. It conveys a message that you just don't matter to me, and I'm not disposed to engage in any more conversation with you. Why lower yourself to communicate like a non-participant in life? Words have meaning. Choose them carefully. Articulate your thoughts. Convey your genuineness through the tone and words you use. Solicit feedback from those with whom you're communicating. Create understanding rather than confusion. Unless you have little self-respect, avoid terms like whatever, that brand you as a thoughtless and detached individual. Catch my drift? To learn more about thinking outside the globe, you can find me at the web at rockettom.com.
2: This is Dr. Travis Adlington, optometrist at Adlington Eye Center. You are listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because of her wealth of knowledge and her willingness to share this knowledge. High-level thinkers have great vision, and they listen to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is a wealth protection diva.
3: Sage International Incorporated fosters the entrepreneurial spirit by first educating our clients. In fact, we wrote the best selling book, Incorporate and Get Rich, as recommended by Robert Kiyosaki in his bestseller, Rich Dad Poor Dad. For over 20 years, we've taught thousands of business owners, investors, professionals, and entrepreneurs how to properly structure their business and personal assets to avoid the three flaming arrows of challenge income taxes liability exposure, probate and death taxes. Call Sage International Incorporated at 1-800-254-5779 to set up a free 30-minute consultation. That's 1-800-254-5779. Sage International.
1: If you missed any part of today's show and would like to listen to the podcast, please visit sherryhillshow.com. Everyone is familiar with the term time-managed, but of course, I take it much deeper and say that there are actually nine categories that you must manage in order to be truly effective and productive. Managing is about handling things, about maintaining order, about organization and control. The first category to get under control is your space. Are you trying to work in an environment that is not organized, laid out to support your work and your work style? Is it noisy? Do you have good lighting, comfortable furniture, and a chair that supports you ergonomically? Does your space make you feel good when you're in it? Does it reflect your personality? Does your space allow you to think, create, or innovate, or are you in a traffic pattern that results in a lot of interruptions? Most people's ineffectiveness, inefficiency, poor productivity, and unsatisfactory results are rooted in being in the wrong place, in the wrong environment, to do the job at hand. The second category to manage is your stuff. This includes, but it's not limited to, your inventory, tools, and equipment. Is your inventory organized and laid out in a way that it's easy to fulfill orders, Your tools and equipment should be clean, easy to get to, in good working order, and the best quality you can buy so you can work efficiently without a lot of stops along the way because you have to constantly fix or repair. The only way you can clear your mind is when you clear the clutter. The third category to manage is information, which encompasses people, processes, technology, and content. The problem of information overload, therefore, may not be the quantity of it, but our inability to know what to do with it. Effective information management is not easy. There are many systems to integrate, a huge range of business needs to meet, and complex organizational and cultural issues to address. One way I've learned to manage information is to carve out action items, to-dos, and tasks from my incoming streams of information. If it's not an action, it's reference and moves to a different space. Information is a source of learning, but unless it is organized, processed, and available to the right people and in the right format for decision-making, it's a burden, not a benefit. Also related to managing information is communication. There are four fatal assumptions that business leaders make concerning their communication. One, people understand what was communicated. Two, people agree with what was communicated. Three, people care about what was communicated. And four, people will take appropriate action. The biggest problem with leadership communication is the illusion that it has occurred. I have a saying that I remind myself every day. The quality of my communication is the quality of the response I get. Miscommunication, poor communication, or no communication will always create problems. I also want to add behavior. Behavior is what people do, and much of it is conveyed via verbal or nonverbal communication. Examples of nonverbal behaviors are the salesperson who fails to greet a customer, a fellow worker who shows up late, a repair person who leaves a mess, all communicate something. There are two important rules of communication. The first is that anything can and will communicate, and second is the receiver of the message determines what it means. The fourth category to manage is time. And no, running late does not count as exercise. Time management behaviors are very much a matter of choice. You choose to be efficient or you choose to be disorganized. You choose to focus and concentrate on your highest value tasks or you choose to spend your time on activities that contribute little value to your life. And you're always free to choose. The starting point of overcoming your previous programming and eliminating the mental blocks to time management is for you to make a clear, unequivocal decision to become absolutely excellent at the way you use your time, minute by minute, and hour by hour. You must decide right here and now that you're going to become an expert in time management. View it as a tool with which you can build a great life, marked by high achievement and a tremendous feeling of satisfaction and accomplishment. It's a personal discipline that, once mastered, will enable you to be, have, and do anything you want or need to achieve whatever successes in life give you the greatest pleasure and happiness. On the flip side, procrastination is the thief of time. One of the most valuable habits you can develop in life is a sense of urgency, an inner drive to get on with it, to get the job done now. A sense of urgency is the opposite of procrastination and its most powerful overriding factor. The fifth category to manage is tasks and priorities. Can you think of a time in your life when the convergence of your personal commitments and your work commitments have caused you to feel overwhelmed and ineffective? For many, there is a fallacy of compartmentalization. We try to divide our lives into buckets, our work-life bucket and our home-life bucket, as though we can somehow slip out of our skin and assume another identity when transitioning between them. Every area of our life is hardwired to every other area. It's impossible to perform a task in one sphere and not have it affect another. Energy we put toward a work task is energy we can't put toward a personal project. And that's why I practice something called whole life planning. I use only one calendar that allows me to account for every single commitment I have made in every area of my life. I want you to think about three her- I want you to think about three horizons of whole life planning: weekly, monthly, and quarterly. This is about getting ahead of your energy commitments so you can examine them objectively. Saying no to a new opportunity is very difficult in the moment, but if you have been strategic in your planning and know what a new commitment will truly cost you, then you can refuse it with confidence. Once you understand your limits, you will be able to manage your time and energy more effectively because you schedule and block the necessary time to handle appointments, special projects, priorities, time off for rejuvenation, and those much-needed family vacations. Great leaders have the ability to separate the relevant from the irrelevant. A second energy management practice is pruning, which means eliminating less effective activity, including all those things, habits, thoughts, equipment, and crap that doesn't work for you anymore. Every time you make a choice to do something, you make a choice to not do something else. I tend to do this annually and really review my past year to see what recurring commitments are still serving me and which are not so I can prune them out of my life. For me, this is about integrity with myself and the fact that I take my commitments seriously. So if I'm not showing up as my highest and best self because I've lost interest, not on board with what's going on, or I'm ready for something new, that being honest with myself and others makes it a lot easier to just say no. When Warren Buffett was asked what he thought the single greatest key to his success was, he'd expect him to answer with the newest economic theory on high finance or insider tips on shrewd business negotiations. But instead, it was, For every hundred great opportunities that are brought to me, I say no 99 times. You have to learn how to say no because saying yes is super easy. Yes, I have a minute. Yes, I'll take the call. Yes, I'll take on that project. Yes, I'll come out for happy hour. Yes, I'll join that networking group. Yes, I'll have dessert, too. There's no resistance in yes. There's no struggle or conflict. No one's feelings are at stake when you say yes. However, saying no is much harder. Yet, that simple word is exactly how you stay focused on what matters most. The sixth category to manage is technology. Bottom line, is it serving you or hindering you? With the explosion of gadgets, apps, and smart technology, it seems to me at times overwhelming and somewhat concerning that our world is becoming so dependent on technology. And then let's add the fact that information is constantly streaming at us, some positive and certainly a lot of negative, which is accessible now from my wrist. If your choice of technology improves your ability to produce and utilize better data that enhances your decision-making capabilities along with automating internal processes that result in vastly improved productivity, then yes, of course you're going to use it. But if it costs a lot of time and resources to figure out, implement, and then becomes obsolete before you've had time to master it, or you find you can't function if your battery dies, then it's time to just step back and evaluate what works and what doesn't and eliminate the unnecessary or what complicates instead of simplifies your life. The seventh category to manage is people and their unrestricted access to you. Your employees, business associates, vendors, clients, family, and friends. Do they call, drop by, or text you at inopportune times or inappropriate places without advance notice or without time to think? You end up rushing through conversations. You agree to things you shouldn't and wouldn't if you gave the matter appropriate thought. Instant or quick is not the same as productive. This is about boundaries, your boundaries, and educating the people in your life that you have them. This also means giving them the assurance that when you are with them, whether in person or on the phone, that you are ready and prepared to be in that moment, giving them the undivided attention they deserve and not stressed out because you're fighting so many other distractions. The eighth category to manage is money. Cash management is knowing precisely what your cash balance is at any given point in time, both personally and professionally. Cash management is being able to accurately project your cash balance in future months. Freeing yourself from worry comes from knowing what your current cash balance is today and what to expect it to be in the future. You must be aware of both so you can focus on your strategic priorities. If you are able to determine what these two cash numbers are, you can adequately plan for the future. If the cash position is unfavorable, then you can develop a plan to solve the problem. The time to deal with a cash shortage is not when it is occurring. This approach can prove disastrous to your life and business. Cash flow problems don't just happen. If you start by using the financial tools available, like QuickBooks, along with tapping into the experts who love to do bookkeeping and taxes, this eliminates G-I-G-O, the garbage in, garbage out method of accounting. A budget, and there are many types to choose from, can be one of the most powerful planning tools you have as long as you use it. For business, it comes down to what you need to know. Measure every day in your business to know if you're on track to generate enough income to pay your bills and yourself or if you need to make adjustments right away to increase cash flow, reduce costs or inventory before it becomes too late and then you end up actually paying more because you've lost early payment discounts, getting hit with late fees and NSF bank charges and the like. The ninth and final category that you have to manage is yourself. As you develop your philosophy of time management, continually remind yourself that you cannot manage time. You can only manage yourself. Time management is life management. Time management requires self-control, self-mastery, and self-discipline. This also translates into wellness, which you alone make the single most powerful contribution to your health and well-being each day. The realization that everything you do, think, feel, and believe has an effect on your state of well-being. Remind yourself of the exorbitant price you pay for negativity, worry, stress in terms of your health. Instead, fill your mind with thoughts of peace, courage, health, and hope. You know, there's no hopeless situations in life. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. Money is a result. Wealth is a result. Health is a result. Illness is a result. Your weight is a result. We live in a world of cause and effect. So rest before you get tired. Learn to relax at work and at home. Be rather than do. The single overriding objective in wellness is creating constant personal renewal, nourishing your soul, where we recognize and act on the truth that each day is a miraculous gift and our job is to untie the ribbons.
0: The Sherry Hill Show values the role we play in supporting the economic engine driving this country. Small business, the backbone of America. Send her a message on Facebook.com slash Sherry Hill Show and tune in next week, same time, same station for the Sherry Hill Show.
4: Hi, this is Peter Padilla, your host at Nevada Real Estate Radio. Our radio show has been on the air for 11 years, and you can listen to all of the podcasts at com. When you listen to the expert guests that come to talk with us, you'll be better informed, wiser, and ready to go when you want to pull the trigger on a real estate transaction. Buying or selling, it doesn't matter. You need the advice from Radio.com. Suntech solar screens block up to 90% of the sun's heat and glare. Suntech solar screening proudly features Pfeiffer screening products. Make shade while the sun shines. Suntech solar screening three five two nine three nine six. Suntech solar screening.